Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt. I identify as a cis, white, gay man. I'm a recent Chicago transplant, and I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Just a little disclaimer for you all, I did lose my voice. It is coming back very slowly, so if I sound a little raspy, that's why. Our main guest today, among others, is Jamie Umansor. Jamie, thank you for coming. Would you mind introducing yourself, your role here at Howard Brown, and your pronouns? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Jamie Umansor, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion here for Howard Brown Health. You've got a big role, a very important role. (laughs) Thank Um, you. Today, I, we brought you in. Uh, our episode is about bisexuality, which on the nose may seem like a, a pretty straightforward thing, but there's a lot of uh, layers and nuances, uh, especially to how it relates to healthcare, um, surrounding bisexuality. So as somebody that deals with uh, inclusivity on a daily basis, uh, we think you're really well suited to kind of dive into bisexuality and also how it relates to the rest of the queer spectrum. We were talking a little bit before this that Bisexuality is in some ways an umbrella term. And in addition to that, it seems like it's a lot of times left out of the conversation surrounding um, queer identities. I mean, to just jump right in, bisexuality is just one way to kind of describe this identity. What are some other terms that people might use um, if they identify as bisexual or you know, what are the differences between those? That is such a great question. And I think the history of the term itself lends toward the reason why today bisexuality or the bi plus umbrella is not as included in conversations and and also historically uh, bi people have been have probably been the mo- the more excluded amongst the orientation spectrum and so let's take first so bisexuality itself originally when we thought more so in binary terms it literally meant attraction to men and women. I sat down with a handful of members of the bi community to get a feel for their own lived experience. Yeah, so my name is Brittany. I use she, her, and hers. I identify as a bisexual. Uh, My name is Eric. I go by he, him pronouns, and I identify as bisexual. Austin, he, him, and uh, bisexual. So I go by she, her pronouns, and um, I've only very recently started using bisexuality as uh, my sexuality. Uh, I've also used terms like queer and uh, pansexual. Pansexual. It's it's just another hashtag that could apply to me. Today, though, as terminology and understandings of orientations and also gender identities have evolved bisexuality really today means more so an attraction and attraction isn't just sexual there's romantic there is emotional as an example and it really is an attraction to more than one gender so your own gender and then other genders and this is where some of the there's even contention within the bisexual community because we'll have some people still hold to that bisexual is an attraction to two genders because of the literal definition of bi and then sexual when we look at the the terms. Well, there's also pansexual as an example, and then there's also omnisexual. 
And historically, the two terms were used interchangeably, but there is a nuance to the difference. Pansexual really is more so along the lines of gender blind, where there's an attraction to genders, regardless of gender identity, more so like, I don't see your gender. It's not a factor in the reason why I may be attracted to you. Omnisexuality, the nuance difference is that there is a recognition of gender in the experience. For me, it just makes sense because what I have really found out about myself is that I'm really attracted to people on like the bookends of the gender spectrum. And that is just, um, I think, I think bisexual is in like bi as in two, like really identifies with what I find attractive. The conversation between pansexuality and bisexuality is pretty intertwined. Um, a lot of people use them interchangeably, which is fine. You know, use your own label as, as you see fit. But, you know, that, that conversation of like, oh, well, like, would you date a trans man? Would you date a trans woman? Uh, answer is yes. And then when someone says, oh, then you're, you're pan. I'm like, well, I, I don't like that label. I, I like bisexuality you know, more, more. Um, so I guess that just generalized is having people put a label for me on what I am. Um, that's a pet peeve of mine, definitely. Queer is when I'm feeling like, oh, well, you don't really need to know specifics because it doesn't matter <laughs> that, that the specifics of like who I'm attracted to, what I do with said people, whatever. And then sometimes I feel like bisexuality is useful and that it is already kind of available in the uh, general space and people know it a little bit more. For myself, I see myself more so as, um, I would say, panromantic and omnisexual because I recognize that I have, I have the ability to be in a relationship with, with any gender. However, I do know that I am more strongly attracted to particular genders and that that is a factor for me when attraction happens. Am I tracking here? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of different layers, but yes. There, there you're, is. You're yes. Tracking. It's very complicated. Uh -huh. And the beauty of this conversation is that it, it is complicated and that bisexuality isn't just this black and white category that we have historically seen it as. Awesome. So... That's a great overview for people that are uh, not not as well acquainted with with bisexuality. I wanted to to get into some of the um, stereotypes or misconceptions surrounding bisexuality. <laughs> uh, my favorite one is um, that we're selfish, that we're greedy. I love that one so much because one, it's not true in its entirety. Anyone can be greedy. That one's probably one of my biggest ones. You're confused. You'll come out later, like, like we mentioned earlier. Um, Basically just down to bone everybody, everything, especially when it comes to like men, specifically straight men who feel empowered to use your identity to stroke their ego and that you might be amenable to that. So that's annoying. The really common ones that come up where it's like, uh, bisexuals are greedy, bisexuals want to date both. Um, and that is, it's almost to a point where I have blocked those stereotypes out so much that I'm like, do people still think that? But then it's like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be. 
walk us through kind of some of why society might feel that way and how do we change our thinking when it comes to that? One of the hardest things about being uh, identifying along the bi plus umbrella is really all of these stigmas and stereotypes. I mean, so I came out at 21 and at the time, the only term I knew was bisexual. So that was the identity that that I that I used. And oh my gosh, the things that I heard along the way from random. So back in the days of MySpace, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, where you could put your orientation on there. I had bisexual and I would get these random messages from people of all ages saying, oh, you're bi. Does that mean that you're going to share your bed with your husband one day? Okay, mind you, I'm not even married. You know, oh, does that mean that you're going to have a girlfriend while you're married? And so everything from a very heteronormative perspective. And I think part of the reason why really is because of of cisgender heteronormativity and in our society where the expectation is that people are cisgender, people are heterosexual, and that there isn't a gray area in between, then also couple that with how hard it is already to come out as, you know, a part of the LGBTQ plus community. And yes, people have used it as a space to either explore or to feel safer in coming out. And it also is a very valid identity, whether for this point in your life or later on in your life. So I think the combination of all of those things are what feeds into this. And there's also, there's a part of earlier you mentioned, you know, greediness or promiscuity has been, you know, attached to bisexuality, which is really incredibly frustrating and hurtful because the ability to be monogamous is not attached to whether someone is bisexual or not. And so ethical non-monogamy can be for any gender, right? Not just a person who is attracted to multiple genders. And so that's where, I feel like that's where a lot of the stigma comes from because of this misunderstanding one of ethical non-monogamy, this misunderstanding of orientation and gender identity and kind of like the, 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 the mixing of the two and people not being able to separate that my sexuality isn't, a t isn't everything about me. Right. And that, oh, just because, and I feel like a part of it could also be insecurities. Like I've heard, oh, so you have twice the, ch the, ch the tw excuse me, you have twice the chance of cheating on me. Right. Every single relationship since coming out until my present has been threatened by my bisexuality. And I've heard all kinds of things and it's awful. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, the point I was going to make is that a lot of times people think that because you have double the amount of potential partners, that that means that, you know, the, you're double the amount of cheating, you're double the amount of infidelity, whatever that looks like. Thinking about uh, the bi-plus umbrella as it relates to healthcare, um, we have uh, on different episodes uh, and surrounding different topics um, kind of talked about how uh, and somebody's identity might factor into their experience in the healthcare setting. I know f talking with uh, different providers within Howard Brown that when a patient identifies, self-identifies as same-sex attracted or straight, kind of their medical priorities automatically shift when I don't know, I don't know what happens when somebody self-identifies as bi-plus within the healthcare setting. How does that change how our providers might um, 
interact with them? What are, what are we look on the lookout for when, when that happens? That's such a great question because it, it is something that I have also struggled with in, in my own life when the, the interactions don't change. So one of the biggest examples I will give is when, you know, going to the doctor as a person who in theory has the ability to get pregnant and being pushed to do urine tests for just in case I might be pregnant. And so for me in particular, at the time I was in a same gender loving relationship, although very much identifying as pansexual at the time. And also medically, they know in my chart that, you know, at some point in my life, I have been diagnosed as infertile, have, you know, attempted and have closed the door on even considering the possibility of becoming pregnant. I just don't want to go down there medically. Right. And so, but to have doctors really insist from a very cis heteronormative perspective, like, no, you just have to take this because there's still a chance that you could get pregnant. Um, well, no, there isn't because I have all these things going on. And so that was, that for me was a really traumatic experience because these doctors just had no sense of sensitivity around the fact that, you know, they pushed that on you when you were in a same gender loving relationship? Yes, they oh. did. They did. And so, but they also knew that, you know, I don't identify as a lesbian. And so, and, but not oh. having multiple partners either at the time. So it was, it was very hurtful. Oh my gosh. I have so many feelings about this because I have been, uh, you know, as a cis woman, we have to go to our, do our pap smears annually, things like that. And I think that's where I've run into most of this conversation or issue. And they always ask you, are you sexually active? Number one, what does that even mean to you? Mm -hmm. Number two, if I say yes, the conversation is automatically, okay, so are you doing anything for birth control? Etc. Etc. And it's like, you don't even know what I'm doing. Right? Can I get pregnant right now? Like right. are my choices that I'm making even putting me in a position to get pregnant right now. And I remember one time um, I saw a doctor in my early 20s and they went through that whole thing um, of, you know, are you sexually active right now? And I said, yes. And they're like, okay, um, are your partners men or women or who are your partners? And I was just like, kind of shooketh because I was like, okay. We're making progress. Right. This is cute. Haven't been asked that before. Yeah, that's, cool. that's great. And then I said both, and then still the conversation went automatically to birth control. Mm. And I'm just like, Jimmy Christmas. Like, can we talk about anything else but pregnancy? So back in California, I had a doctor named Dr. Rashid Doshi, who is hands down the best provider I've ever seen at ever. Straight man. I met his wife, very great couple. Um, and what sold me is I've been seeing him for a while and then I learned about prep. So I, I, I saw him for maybe a couple of years and then when I started coming in terms with who I am, um, I talked about prep and this was when I was around 17. So, you know, like I just recently came out and I'm like, hey, um, it was only me and him. Like, I, I kind of want to know you know, more, more about prep because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, having sex with men. He's like, cool. Yeah. What do you want to know about it? And, and that sold me on him immediately because it was such a non-issue and he answered all my questions like to the T made sure I knew what, what I was talking about. He was like, are you sure you know what this means? And I'm like, no, please explain it. So that I, I love that guy to death. He was 
Um, had you at that point specifically ever like labeled yourself as bisexual or were you just asking about prep at that point? I brought it up, um, but it was mostly that I volunteered the information. Like okay. it, it was never asked, gotcha. which I do appreciate. I think my personal experience has been very limited because I I can I will tell and can tell my doctor, yeah, I I'm bisexual, but because a lot of the like acting on it is not a part of my life at the moment, it doesn't seem to come up and like okay, well, are you having sex with, you know, penises, vaginas, whatever? And a lot of the time it's just, yeah, it's a lot of penis. <laughs> it's just a lot of penis. And, you know, it just doesn't seem to apply, I think, to my health as much yet. So for me, what I look for in a healthcare team is a healthcare team that doesn't make a big deal out of anything in particular and is really here centered on me and my care in the way that I need it to be delivered. And so whether that means, you know, being a bit more discreet or sensitive in how you're going to ask me certain questions, not assuming that I have, you know, that my partner is of a particular gender or even not assuming that I would, granted I have one partner right now, but not assuming that I would have just one partner. And then also not making judgments if I have more than just one partner. And so it's really that open-minded, open-hearted, I will meet you where you are at and provide the care how you need it rather than how I think you should be receiving it from my limited scope as a medical provider that may or may not have had training or experiences, you know, with LGBTQ plus cultural, you know, humility and whatnot. That's really the the center of Howard Brown's like patient-centered healthcare, right? Is like I've talked with a few different providers and it's it's always you know, we want our providers to ask questions and listen first rather than just, you know, prescribe and dish out what they think needs to happen. Yes. Um, because, I mean, as we've learned so far, like there is, you know, a ton of other identities within the BiPlus umbrella. So even just, you know, if, for a provider to be aware that their patient is identifies as BiPlus isn't enough. There needs to be more questions asked. There needs to be um, a level of understanding between the patient and provider that unfortunately in a lot of healthcare settings doesn't doesn't exist. There's not that time mm -hmm. to really dive into those things. Um, so I do appreciate that about Howard Brown that like in, in general, we try our best to allow the patient to disclose the information and to make the requests that they feel are important. Um, and then also kind of provide culturally competent healthcare to, to understand what those things mean and to understand how to ask those questions and and give the kind of best treatment in line with with those identities. It's, mm -hmm. it's a whole, I wish, I don't know, we, our healthcare setting as it exists today, unfortunately, yeah, doesn't accommodate that kind of getting to know one another that needs to happen between a provider and a patient because, I mean, we've been talking for 25 minutes and, uh, you know, that's still not enough time, I don't think, for some, you know, a provider to accurately know all the healthcare needs of somebody as it relates to, you know, their gender identity or their sexual preference or anything like that. So, 
you know, there, there's the factor of identifying as a queer person, but then also uh, that your identity is a lot of times overlooked within the queer community itself. I kind of wanted to dive into that more because bisexuality is one of the less represented um, letters, so to speak, uh, within the LGBTQ plus acronym. Uh, I've, obviously, there's identities that aren't even included in that acronym, but um, in, in on that same topic, do you feel welcomed within the queer community? That's a great question, and I sometimes do, sometimes don't. I think that there is um, a lot of um, feelings around the label bisexual. Um, there are a lot of folks within the queer community that also hold this idea that um, you can't really have, you know, attraction to both genders or whatever. And I also think that like it's kind of an old school thought. Um, and I think that it's getting, once again, like getting better. But I do think that um, there are times where I've been in queer spaces that I feel that I've had to shrink myself because um, I am, you know, like, let's say, for example, like I was maybe dating somebody that was a man and um, suddenly it's like, oh, no, 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 you're only queer when you're in a queer relationship. And I think that's something that a lot of other folks um, struggle with. And it it makes you feel like, you know, this is, this is supposed to be my safe place, theoretically. But because I'm exploring a relationship that looks like this, this is no longer a safe space for me. And so it's like either shrink yourself and don't talk about it or avoid spaces altogether. I think there are so many layers to it. Um, I think we can talk all day about uh, how white and gay that pride is. Um, we can talk all day about that, but then there's also just the fact that I, I worry that I may be part of the problem where I fear that I go into pride being like, okay, I'm going to wear my gay jacket. Like I'm going in as a gay person. I'm not expressing my pride in bisexuality. Like that's not what this is for. Like, and do you think that the, the questions that you get surrounding bisexuality and that kind of like rigmarole you go through when you say that you identify as that, do you think that that's probably why you enter those spaces choosing to identify more as gay in that space? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Cause if I'm, if I'm going to pride, it's like, I can, I can wear the bi flag. I can, uh, wear the colors and tell anyone I meet that I'm bisexual, but it's like, Yeah, it's, it's really tough because you want to go and celebrate who you are authentically. Um, and it just, it doesn't quite feel like the space for that. I, I feel like I would still need to justify like, oh wait, no, actually I'm, I'm bi, <laughs> I'm yeah. bi pride. Um, because everyone, you know, everyone also calls pride gay pride. Like that's, that is the right, it's, it's, verbiage that's used it's so that much. that meme of like gay rights. Exactly. It's like, there's more rights than just, There's more just gay. Rights yeah, than you that. feel like you have to add like a little asterisk to your experience in order to like fully represent yourself. Which... Exactly. I actually have not been to Pride. I've never really felt welcome specifically as the kind of queer person I am. So, I mean, I'm I might go. I don't know. It's it's COVID out here, y'all. But <laughs> I feel like 
feeling like you have a part or section of people to sit with, then you're much more likely to enjoy pride the way that you want to. A part of the, I think a part of the reason why by invisibility and by erasure is happening is because because a, a lot of what we talked about earlier, so the misunderstanding around um, and the stigmatization of the bi plus umbrella, and and also because when we look at historically, you know, the LGBTQ plus rights movement, it's more obvious that you are queer if you are in a same gender relationship, and there's this, there's this, there's a concept of, well, if you're bi, you're not gay enough. I mean, I've certainly heard that. And because there, there historically, there's this notion of what gay means. There's a the definition. concept of like a gold star gay, of like right. having only ever had same gender experiences. Of exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. And so when we hold on to those, those notions of what it means to be gay, what it does at the same time is that's what's lending to the erasure and the visibility. And when we don't take the time to really break down, and these really comes back to implicit biases. And if we don't take the time to break that down, we're gonna keep perpetuating the, the erasure and invisibility of bi plus people. And how do we come, how do we move away from that? So a lot of that, again, I would say implicit bias, but also thinking outside the box for, let's say, marketing inside the boxes. Well, we're going to put, you know, some same gender, same gender loving couples in a picture with rainbow flags. And that's what pride is. Right. It's, it's well, the rainbow marketing that like we. Exactly. Think of big, yes. Big brands of like, OK, that's too obvious. Like there's more to it than just, you know, two dudes holding hands. Like Exactly whole range of possibilities that gets left out of that kind of uh, mm -hmm. messaging. Do you feel that bisexual people are represented enough or accurately in the media? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I think there has been only one kind of example in the recent years that I feel like has actually expressed it in a way that I feel comfortable with it being expressed, and that's from... Um, Shit's Creek, where David, um, obviously we see him dating uh, Stevie, who is a woman. And um, then with no actual like conversation being held around it, it's just like we see that them building this attraction. And then, um, and then we see later David going on to date Patrick. And it's, it's, it was never a conversation. It was never a plot point. It was just David is dating these people who he is having these connections with. And that's what I love to see in media. Um, but yeah, otherwise I see commonly just the trope of um, if a character is bisexual, their personality is revolving around them being overly sexualized um, their personality is being a sexual being, and uh, it is convenient for writing that they are bisexual so that they can place themselves in any of these situations and just be a, an envoy for that. Because I'm, I'm not asking for anything to be ignored, and I'm not asking for it to just be passed over, but um, the same way that characters may have conversations about why they're attracted to like straight characters why they're attracted to certain other characters i i i like it 
being treated with the same respect, you know? You know, I, I, I feel like it's very important what the other like identities are surrounding the sexuality of a person. So me being a black cis woman who's queer, like that's who I'm, I guess, looking to see if they are representing me well. Um, so far, no. <laughs> so, okay, I know that they're not a, a black woman, but she's a woman of color. Um, Rosario, oh, I'm sorry, Rosa from Brooklyn Nine-Nine is bisexual. And she dates both men and women throughout the series. And it wasn't the huge part of her character. Her huge part of her character is that she's a badass. <laughs> and her bisexuality is not considered necessarily like a part of that, you know? It was just about, that was just the people that she would date would be these different kinds of people. And I really liked that about that character. And I found a lot more of myself in that. I think it's getting better, honestly. I think when I was like a teenager, the only thing I would see in media is like the girls making out with girls kind of thing. And it was whatever. But I think as um, shows that are coming out that showcase like Gen Z and I think it's truly getting better. I really, um, it's funny because I am not Gen Z, I'm a millennial, but I will sing Gen Z's praises from their rooftops. So I'm like, they're changing the world. They're justice oriented. They are, you know, accepting of so many people. And I think that you look at um, shows like, you know, Euphoria, which is the big hit, which has all sorts of different relationships going on and like really normalizing that, these are human connections, but normalizing that like people can have experiences all over the spectrum and they all have meaning to those people and like they don't have to have meaning to you. Yeah, and so when, when we can start to think outside of the box of what it means to be inclusive of bi plus people, I think that's where some of the magic can happen. And, but it's, it's more, it goes deeper than that. We're really talking about like societal change systems change that opens people up to the idea that regardless of where we fall on the LGBTQ plus spectrum, we are a part of that family. And every identity, regardless of how somebody expresses it, is valid. And so myself being in a heteropresenting or mixed orientation relationship, you know, I have heard through the grapevine in, you know, previous places where my authenticity was questioned when people found out that I'm in a heteropresenting relationship and or my ability to do LGBTQ plus inclusion work was called into question. And thankfully, I had some friends who were around um, where I was not present who stood up and said, well, you know, if you welcome this person who happens to be white and is in a heteropresenting relationship and you see them as an advocate and as a champion for this work, why is Jamie any different? And, and really, and the allyship is huge for that. The more allies can step up and say, hey, no, like that's not right. Let's let's correct that. Let's change, let's course change. That's when the bigger conversations happen. Unfortunately, we are still in a society where the dominant 
the dominant society figures are the ones who are still most often heard. Right. And so, you know, where are our lesbian and gay allies who are willing to stand up when they hear things and, and correct? Because it, it's very much, it can be a, a macroaggression, it can be a microaggression. It's, it all falls under that, you know, I want to say prejudice and bias umbrella. And yeah. bias is okay. We all have bias. It's how we act on that bias, what we're willing to do to mitigate it. Yeah. Across all the issues uh, that we've talked about on this podcast, we've always found that education is the best remedy to a lot of this stuff. And so uh, if you're listening and, and you don't feel that you fall under the bypass umbrella, um, like you just said, allyship is is one of the best things of you know, listening to to things like this podcast and, and educating yourself when it comes to the different identities that exist within uh, queer spaces so that, yeah, when the, when those types of conversations happen, you can speak up in an educated way and say, no, let's, let's course change, let's, let's, let's correct this, this isn't, we're, we're better than this and, and this is how we advance the conversation of, of arming ourselves with, with uh, you know, these experiences and this, this knowledge. Um, so that's kind of, what this podcast serves to do is to amplify different people's stories and kind of uh, make space for these kinds of conversations. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think that when it, when it comes to that kind of uh, division within the uh, LGBTQ plus um, family, so to speak, uh, I feel like maybe people view uh, bi plus individuals as uh, having it quote unquote easier because they have the option to uh, exist in a heteropresenting relationship. So it's like, you know, gay, gay people may be like, well, well, I can only ever be different and you have the luxury of being able to blend in when you want to, quote unquote. Uh, and so I feel like that kind of animosity might exist as a result of that. Am I off base? Obviously it's they're off base for coming to that conclusion, right. but I feel like is there truth to that, that people... I would imagine way. so. And and the the interesting about that is that even though that, you know, I have heard that as a sentiment, in some cases, it couldn't be farther from the truth. It is so, as someone who has for the last, how old am I now? For the last 20 years, who has been, you know, generally for most of that time out and open about being, you know, identifying as bi plus at the least, it's the furthest from the truth. It's so hard existing in this space because from the from the outside, you're either rejected because you are with the LGBTQ plus community or your identity is disregarded and minimalized because you are straight passing. And then within the community, also facing that same, well, you're not gay enough and this isn't just an easy out or it's just a phase. And so there's, we're, we're facing rejection at both ends right. from within and from without. And so out of the orientations that I am aware of and that, that I have lived, I, I have to say that being in a non-binary orientation, orientation-wise is probably one of the toughest because you don't get the, ex you have double the rejection really, and a lot less of the acceptance. Is there anything you want people to know about bis bisexual individuals? Or just like you. I mean, it's, it's jokingly and non-jokingly my response. It's 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Just we exist. We're here. We're not selfish. Well, not all of us. Um, and I don't know. We just want to be happy. <laughs> be patient with people when they're coming out. It's 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 hard. Whether you know how easy it is or not, it's it's always hard to make that choice to actively come out and you know express who you are to people that may or may not know you or like you. Um, yeah, be kind. Accept <laughs> uh, you don't know shit. Honestly, you, you you just don't know anything about a person just because you know or might know their sexuality. Like, just don't bother making assumptions it's very simple because you've got you know you meet people and you're not expected to know everything at once i think this mystique of trying to get the answers to these questions um in their head basically means that they don't actually talk to the person and understand them I, as a bisexual person, feel like I'm always needing to justify my bisexuality. And if I ever bring it up to someone, the question, whether it's malicious or not, is always, oh, who was the last girl you were with? Um, or like, when was the last time you dated a girl? When was the last time you had sex? Did you like it? And like, things like that. And it's, people have such an entitlement to a binary that, um, you get asked these questions that they don't even realize is you would you would never ask that even to a gay person like when was the last guy you were with um so it's it's that entitlement to answers that people have about bisexuality that is so frustrating to me i think Conversations like these are definitely amongst the first steps. And, you know, it's great that com these conversations have been going. You know, you've referenced Liz Thompson a few times, and, and that's just one example of a conversation that you've had along this topic. And this is another one. And so the more that we can talk about it, the more that we can shed light on by erasure, by visibility, invisibility, so that we can raise visibility of bi plus people, that's all a part of it. Talking about it though is just one step. Then what are the actions gonna look like? They could be you know, creating those inclusive spaces. They could be correcting microaggressions as we hear them happening. That I think is one of the biggest factors because microaggressions in a public space, when somebody has the courage to step up and to respectfully correct, that is a powerful, can be a powerful, um, learning opportunity. And so that's a, that really is a part of it. So looping back into the allyship, whether you are, you know, someone who is of a, you know, of a binary orientation, or even as someone who also identifies as bi plus, you know, can we stand up for each other? And I know it's scary and I know it's hard because I've been there, been at the end of these really ignorant questions and, and spaces that really make you just feel so <sighs> left out. So left yeah. out, so rejected yeah. just for who you are. And this is supposed to be like our safe space. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. It's very contradictory. Yeah, it is. I, yeah, there's so much to, to dig into here, into here. And I joke with every guest that We'll have to have you back to talk more but truly deeply uh this is uh i think uh, there's a lot of bigger questions here that we could dive into unfortunately we are approaching the end of our time 
thinking back, we've talked about uh, what bisexuality is and what's not, how all the different identities that factor into um, being bisexual, which we prefer the bi-plus umbrella term now. Uh, we talked about uh, what uh, a bi-plus person's needs might be in the healthcare setting, discrimination they might fit face there, as well as uh, kind of the uh, otherness they might feel when it comes to the queer community. So we've touched on a lot of different stuff throughout the podcast. Um, we've got a few minutes Closing words, closing thoughts. What didn't we hit on that we want to send home with our listeners when it comes to uh, the bi-plus orientation? What haven't we hit on? Hmm. Good question. I need to think about that. No, you're good. <laughs> we got time. What would I want listeners? So I think hmm, what I would want listeners to know is that bi-plus people we're people, we are, we are a part of the family and what we do behind closed doors, that's our private life. It's just as much as your own life is private. You know, if you wouldn't be asking these kinds of invasive questions to another person who is of a binary orientation, then why are you asking these questions of someone who is of a non-binary orientation? Does it matter? Does my ability to be faithful in a relationship change? Or does your ability to believe that I can be faithful in a relationship change just because I identify as bi plus? If it does, I ask you to really take a deep dive inside and reflect on that because that's more a reflection of what's going on in you. What have you experienced? that has given you this perspective. Because really our orientations have nothing to do with the ability to be faithful. And if you are approaching me from this preconceived notion, at some point, I'm gonna know. It's gonna leak out, it's gonna be obvious. No matter how much you try to hide it, something is gonna show that this is something that you're thinking of. And so take that time to reflect and to, to educate and to learn and, and be open the way that you'd be open to any other person or any other orientation or gender identity have that same openness. I I really can't follow up anything better than that. That's so excellently put. Jamie, thank you so much for your time today and educating me and our listeners. There's a lot more to be said on this topic, like we said before, but I think this is a great starting point uh, and I can't wait to, to have you back to talk more about it. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been such a pleasure. I look forward to being back. Thanks. And that has been our episode today regarding bisexuality. If you are curious about anything we talked about in the episode, you can go to www.howardbrown.org for more information. Thanks for listening.